Now let us continue our exposition of Luke's gospel. We're still in the 11th chapter of Luke. Let me also say that I think that Mother's Day is a wonderful day and that I hope that you have wonderful things planned for mom at home. And then, because there's nowhere she would rather be than in worship, we'll see you all here this evening for our evening worship service. But I do not stop on Father's Day and Mother's Day and preach independent sermons on those themes. I do not view that as part of the church calendar, though I do not hesitate to address those things as part of the whole counsel of God as we move along in our preaching of various books of the Bible. Now we're in chapter 11, beginning at verse 29 through verse 36. Will you bow with me in prayer? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, and we would exalt thy name together even at this moment with special thanksgiving for, first of all, the love that is shown in giving to us this word. For, Father, in this world we will face trouble, trial, tribulation, as well as many joys, and we will go through those things that are so perplexing to the mind and to the heart and to the soul that we are being led to completely and utterly depend upon the Word of God as a lamp unto our feet and a light that lightens the path before us. And so, Father, may that be true this morning that we, your people, receive greater light from this word, and that those who sit in darkness and have never seen the great light of Jesus Christ will be enabled by grace so to do this morning. So we thank thee for love, but also for wisdom, infinite wisdom, for we have none of our own, and we cannot see the beginning from the end, and yet, Heavenly Father, thou hast given to us this word that is true, inerrant, without error, in the whole and in the part, not to tell us what the secret is in the mind of the Lord in doing this thing or that or leading us this way or that, but to tell us this is how you expect us to live, under the lordship of Jesus Christ and in union with, with him and communion with him. Enable us so to do now, as we turn to the Word with complete faith and reliance, because this Word comes from the God who cannot lie. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you now take your copy of God's Word and stand Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 29. This is the Word of God. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, "'This generation is an evil generation,' It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here." The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your health, eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now you will recall, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our Savior is in controversy with the Pharisees. In the prior passage, he made it clear that there is not a worse man than the one who thinks himself converted for a while and then walks away from the faith that he professed. The Pharisees needed to hear, as do we, that self-reformation deepens unbelief, that self-reformation deepens the judgment to come. And the falsely converted have been warned. Jesus said that it is like a man that a devil has left, and yet he comes back with seven more devils stronger than he. And the man's last state is worse than his first. That was his message to us, as we saw last week. But now the Pharisees continue, and they were arrogant sign seekers. Back in verse 16, we read, while others to test him kept seeking from a sign from heaven, which is explanatory of why he says in verse 29, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. And Jesus has no use for that mentality whatsoever. Uh, There will be only one sign and God will give it and not to satisfy those who want to attempt to control God and manipulate him in their lives. So we come then to this text and the first thing we see is the call for a sign or perhaps you might rather call it the folly of sign seekers. Pharisees wanted a miracle to confirm who Jesus is. Now he's been performing signs. He's been performing miracles. They want to designate the sign, however, themselves. One that they would see is irrefutable. Convince us, they're saying to the Messiah. Convince us that that is who you are. And Jesus saw their unbelief. They've seen the signs, the very signs the prophet said the Messiah would do when he came. Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. These are the things the Messiah would do. Well, when he cast out the demon in this section that we saw last week, what did they do? Well, he casts out uh, demons by Beelzebub. So if he performed a sign, they would manipulate that. If he didn't perform a sign, they would manipulate that. You see the deception of sin, how deep that deception is. That is why the Lord tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that the natural man, the man outside of Christ, the man that is not born again, the natural man cannot perceive the things of the Spirit of God for they are spiritually discerned. It requires the new birth to understand the signs that Jesus does in his healings and in his removing of demons from bodies and souls. 
It requires faith because only faith can receive a sign. A sign cannot produce faith. Signs do not give faith, but they make sinners more inexcusable. And so these Pharisees, in demanding a sign when he is performing the very signs that the Messiah, according to the Bible, would perform, are simply deepening their judgment before God. And he reproves them for wanting signs when they are awash with signs. Verse 29, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah, he says. So why were the crowds gathering? Well, undoubtedly most of them were gathering because they wanted to see signs, not because they longed to know God, not because they wanted to be saved, not because they wanted communion with God, a relationship with him, And that has not changed. All through history, we have had those who have said, if God's real, let him show me. Let him prove it. Let him give me a sign. So Bob Ingersoll takes out his watch, and he says, all right, God, I give you five minutes. If you strike me dead by then, I'll believe in you. And of course, God is not at Bob Ingersoll's beck and call. And unless God regenerated him before he died, which I don't have any reason to think happened, he will be eternally, eternally reminded of his folly, wishing that he could take out his watch and have five more minutes in order to believe and repent. You see, the triune God has revealed himself clearly. Every atom of the universe screams that God is, and yet people say, show me a sign. It's the spirit of the Pharisees. It's still with us. This is the mentality that will lead multitudes to believe in the Antichrist. Now, I'm not making that up. I try not to make up anything that I preach, uh, but to preach God's Word. And that's what Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when he says of the man of sin, the com- this is 2 Thessalonians 2.9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If the Lord wants you to have a sign, he is saying to these Pharisees, the Lord will choose that sign. He will give you that sign. You may not determine it for yourselves. You see, they have a view of God, that God is at my beck and call, that God is to be manipulated by me. And God does not stand at our beck and call to satisfy our perverted curiosity. You know, we have in our day also, and even often in the church, a very pitiful doctrine of God, don't we? A view of God that that is so, so inadequate. I was riding in my car going to something that I needed to accomplish in my ministry this last week. Heard a well-known person being uh, interviewed over the radio. Someone called in and asked him about predestination. Uh, What did he answer? He said, well, um, most likely God knew how you would respond, whether you would believe or whether you wouldn't. Most likely he knew. Most likely he knew God determined it. He predestined it. He elects his people. You see, the view of God that we have that's everywhere in the world and even in the church, he's weak, he's needy, um, he's just there to bring me pleasant things in life. My friends, God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justness, goodness, and truth. 
He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou? And the believer, rather than saying, Lord, bend thy will to mine, I really want to be Lord, the believer in Christ will say and is saying, and we learn to say more and more, bend my will to thine. I submit to thy way, not my way, thy will. And I say with Job in chapter 13, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Lord, I don't understand what you are doing, but I'm not going to ask for a sign. The sign has been given already. It's Jesus Christ risen from the dead. I trust you by naked faith. I'm not asking you to explain yourself to me. I'm asking that you give to me a heart to believe and trust and follow the word. Now, is that your heart? Is that where you are? Is that what you desire? So that's the attitude of the Pharisees, the sign seekers, and what folly it is. But we go on in the text and we see the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. Jesus rebukes their unbelief there in verse 29. And he calls the Pharisees an evil generation. Now, do you just read past that or does it strike you? These are the people who should look back on the word of God that they so constantly read, yet without faith. They should read it with faith. They should see God has been at work. They should see that that God is the great covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. They should say, Lord, give us faith to see the Messiah. They should be praying and seeking God and believing the promise of the promise-keeping God. But they are covenant rejectors covenant breakers. They were not internally by faith in the covenant, they were only externally related to the covenant. And so how did they respond? With pride and arrogance, never internally believing, only externally being a part of the covenant. And they have sinned against the light. They have sinned against light. They are deliberately unfaithful to God. They should believe, they are called to believe, but they're unfaithful to God's covenant. And oh, I want to say to the children of this church and to the young people of this church, listen to the word of God. This should have been a believing generation, but he calls them an evil generation. May this not be said of you, that you will grow up and be acknowledged as an evil, unbelieving, unfaithful generation, but rather a believing, trusting, faithful generation. Not, it's my life and I will live it as I please, and if God does not give me what I want, I'll pout and reject him. But Lord, it's your life. Bring glory to thy name in whatsoever you choose in whatever circumstance, in whatever way, though it be hard for me. So Jesus will not give them a sign on demand. He does not have to explain himself or bow to their expectations. They do not want to believe, and they want to disdain Jesus. And you know, when we move on later to chapter 16, we will read here in Luke, that even though one was raised from the dead and went back to witness, they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe. They do not have faith to believe the sign. 
So Jesus will give, he says, only one sign. And that one sign is the sign of signs. It is one sign that is different in magnitude than all the others. It is the one sign to which all of his miracles and signs are now pointing. And that sign, he says, is the sign of Jonah. Now, Matthew unpacks this for us a bit more. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights, so the Messiah would be in the grave. Just as Jonah was delivered, so Messiah will be raised from the dead. And so Jonah was ordained of God as a type pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. Jonah in the watery grave was typologically resurrected, and then he preached repentance as a sign to them. And the sign? The sign is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And according to this text, not just his resurrection, but the proclamation of it is the sign. So the preaching of the resurrected Christ to us at this moment is the sign that is to be believed. A resurrection that will arise, if I, if I may make a play on words, a resurrection that will arise out of the Pharisees' murder of the Son of God becomes the sign proclaimed that condemns their sin and calls to repentance and condemns the sin of our generation and of all unbelievers and calls us to repentance as well. How then is, how is the sign of Jonah a sign? How is the resurrection of Jesus a sign? Well, it is a sign that points to all the all-encompassing plan of God. It is a sign of the authenticity of Jesus' ministry who said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and after three days, I will raise it up. It is a sign declaring Christ's divine sonship, Romans 1.4 tells us. It is a sign of the justification of sinners, that the debt was paid once for all. Romans 4.25, he was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. It is a sign of the resurrection at the last day. But to these Pharisees, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also a sign of the judgment to come. He is a living Lord who sits on his throne. And so Paul preaches it that way in Acts 17 to Gentiles. He hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. But as with Jonah, it is not only the resurrection, but the proclamation of the resurrection that is the sign. Today is the day of salvation. Do you hear that word? It is preached by one now who belongs to a string of preachers going all the way back to the empty tomb. And the sign, you have it right now in the proclamation of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Reject this word. Reject Jesus risen from the dead. Reject this sign. Reject this proclamation. And there is no other. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the sign, the message, the fact that stands between you and heaven and hell. There is no other message to be believed. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. 
Do you, with all of your heart, believe in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead? Because he's coming again, and there will be judgment. He tells us so in this passage. There will be judgment. And the only way that we can stand in that judgment is by knowing Jesus Christ personally, risen from the dead. Which leads us thirdly in this text to the call to repentance. Notice verse 29 again. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So as Jonah was assigned to his generation, so will the Son of Man be to his. Raised, so to speak, from a watery grave, preached at Nineveh. Nineveh repented, as we heard in the passage this morning. Jesus then, here the Messiah stands right before you Pharisees. I'm right in front of you. I'm, I'm doing the signs the Messiah is told by Isaiah and others that he would perform when he came. And he says, the people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and will condemn you. Read this with Matthew 12, 41. The Ninevites had far less revelation than you have and believed and you sin against greater light. And in verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So the queen of Sheba came to challenge Solomon and she left a believer. You have far more light than she had. A greater than Jonah is here. Something greater has come, and that is the kingdom. Someone greater has come, says Jesus, and it is me. A greater than Solomon is here with all of his wisdom. And yet, he says, you are so hard-hearted that you do not believe. And what of us? We have the resurrection. We have a complete Bible. We have preachers of the gospel We have been given light indeed. The greater the light, the more heinous the sin of rejecting the light. The greater the light, the greater will be the judgment that is faced. And so the Pharisees are bent on salvation by works, and they must have it their way, and they must... They must try it their way rather than submit to God's way. And the Messiah they want will bend to their way of seeing things. He's right in front of them and they're, they're blind as moles. They're dead as stones and they cannot see. And they're totally unashamed of it. They have no shame. Thomas Watson speaks of a persecutor in the time of Queen Mary who was upbraided because he was so bloody and so filled with hate And he responded, I see nothing to be ashamed of. Jeremiah 6.15, this was a characteristic of the Jews only externally related to the covenant. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Jeremiah 6.15 tells us. And we in our culture, we often even in the church, what about in your life and mine? We're not ashamed of sin, and hence we do not need to call out 
Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and grant me repentance. I hope that's not you. You know, I said to the children that were in Vespers last Wednesday night, it's really wonderful. Vespers has all ages in it, and a lot of young people often, and uh, especially at this time of the year, some very small children, though periodically we have a lot of small children. And I was preaching a particular uh, text uh, on Cain and Abel from Genesis, and I really paused and said to the children, I want to repeat it to them, and I want to repeat it to you too. I said, children, you know, when your conscience condemns you, when your conscience says to you you're doing something wrong, don't shove that aside. Don't push that down, because your conscience is saying to you, you need a redeemer. But today, I fear, in the culture in which we live, The conscience is seared as with a hot iron, and it cannot feel. Well, this leads us to the ability to see, and I think it would be helpful if we read verses 33 and following. Again, because the Lord Jesus gives to us a sort of parable in which he says, verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your light is the lamp of your body. When your light is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So God lit the gospel candle. The light shone in the darkness through the coming of Jesus Christ. The object of sight was right in front of them. The object of sight was clear. But if the eye cannot see it, what does it avail? Verse 34, the light of the body is the eye. The eye receives the light. And so as old Matthew Henry put it, so the light of the soul is the understanding and judgment and its power of discerning between good and evil, truth and falsehood. So if we see things, you see people of God, as they are, the whole soul is full of light. And we acknowledge and delight in the truth, and we see and love Jesus Christ, and the gospel continues to fill us with even more light. If, however, the eye of the soul is evil, if it is bad, Jesus says, we are incapable of seeing the Lord. We cannot see the object of the eye because the eye is blind. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Again, old Matthew Henry, if the judgment be bribed and biased by the corrupt and vicious dispositions of the mind, by pride and envy, by the love of the world and sensual pleasures, If the understanding be prejudiced against divine truths and resolve not to admit them, though brought with ever so convincing an evidence, it is no wonder that the whole body, the whole soul, should be full of darkness. How can they have instruction, information, direction, or comfort from the gospel that willfully shut their eyes against it? And what hope is there for such? What remedy for them? And so Jesus warns in verse 35, take heed that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Henry was powerful to me. Listen again. Take heed that the eye of the mind be not blinded by partiality and prejudice 
and sinful aims. Be sincere in your inquiries after truth, ready to receive it in the light and love and power of it, and not as the men of this generation to whom Christ preached, who never sincerely desired to know God's will, nor desired or designed to do it. And therefore, no wonder that they walked in darkness, wandered aimlessly, and perished eternally. Now, we are all, due to original sin, born in spiritual darkness, and that darkness becomes darker and darker the more the truth is rejected. If you are a person who has rejected the truth, I know what God in His grace is capable of achieving, but the point here is, Your heart grows harder and harder. Your darkness grows darker and darker as you more and more reject Jesus Christ and his word. So that already by nature, our souls are as dark as a thousand midnights in a cypress swamp. But imagine it gets even darker. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, but if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Which is why Paul tells us in Colossians 1, 12 and 13, that he gives thanks to God the Father, which hath made us to be fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. If you're a lost person and you wake up in the middle of the night and there's no light in your room, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. I hope the words of this preacher haunt your soul for your good. I pray that the hound of heaven will not let you go and that you will contemplate the truth and reality of the fact, you know, I'm in darkness. I'm in darkness. There's a lot in this room that is there, but I can't see it. And the Bible tells me that Jesus Christ has come and I can't see him because my soul... It's dark. Now let me explain. This whole way of putting things, light and darkness, is the difference between what the Bible calls being born again or languishing in the natural state of sin. So a person might even have historical faith. Do you know that language, historical faith? Do you know what it means? Historical faith means, you know, I see all of this in the Bible, I believe it's true. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's historical faith. But you may have historical faith. You may say, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and still be lost. Historical faith. You can say, I know it's true. But that's not the same as appropriating the truth for yourself. So, I've used this with you, but let me use it again. 
I don't know what you like. Is it honey? Is it peppermint? Whatever it is, whatever you fill in the blank. But let's say it's peppermint. If you don't like peppermint, take honey. Take something that you really like. Dark chocolate, <laughs> whatever it is. And uh, you have a chemist. And that chemist analyzes the peppermint. Uh, he can tell you its molecular structure. He can give you all kinds of details. He could write a dissertation about peppermint. But he's never tasted it. You have a person over here who doesn't know a thing about chemistry, but he's tasted peppermint. That's the person that knows peppermint. So it's possible for you to know a lot about the Bible, to understand that Jesus rose from the dead, to be able to have a great defense of it, but you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You don't know the risen Christ for yourself. You've never trusted him with saving faith. Listen, it is a different thing believing that it is true and believing that truth for the salvation of my own soul. It's the difference, children, between my parents' faith and a true faith that is the result of seeing Jesus for yourselves. That person who lives under the power of things worldly and the the filth and lust of the world and does not relish the things of God and the beauty of Christ and the sweetness of grace. Maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about. Somebody here. That person is not born again. Because to be born again is to perceive everything differently. It's like seeing color for the first time. Born-again people, as Jonathan Edwards put it, believe the doctrines of God's Word to be divine because they see divinity in them. Let me repeat it. Born-again people believe the doctrines of God's Word to be divine because they see divinity in them. Put it another way. Born-again people believe the doctrines of God's Word because they can't live without Christ. Because they see Jesus and all of those teachings and doctrines and miracles and accounts. So, one thing that should come through this morning as the Word of God is preached is, if I may go from Luke to John 3 in my thinking, you must be born again. I must be born again. You must be born again. You need to be born from above. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who alone can give light and life, and who can raise the spiritually dead. And I know that as it is preached, that there can be the confluence of the Spirit of God taking His Word and working in one to make you alive. George Whitfield was asked the question by someone, why do you continually preach you must be born again? And he answered, because you must be born again. All of which leads us to the fifth and final point. Fifth, but not quite done, okay? It is the wonder of Jesus. The wonder of Jesus. Let me ask you, who is this that is right before the eyes of the Pharisees, but they cannot see him? Who is it? Well, according to verses 21 and 22, we saw last week, he's the stronger than the devil. 
who can come into a sinner's heart and remake him, kick out the devil and divide his spoils. According to verse 32, it's a greater than Jonah that was before them because this one speaking to them has come into the world and he will go to a cross and be raised from the dead. I'd say that's a greater than Jonah. It's according to verse 31, a wiser and greater man than Solomon. 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, the one who is before them is the incomparable Christ. And Phariseeism did not see this. In that sense, it was a Christological heresy. They didn't recognize the Son of God right before them. And Satan has continued his sustained attack on Christ throughout the history of the church. Why? Because he hates God, hates his truth, hates the salvation of your soul, and he hates his church. And so if he can attack Christ and make you think less of him than you ought, he's attacking the soul ground of your salvation. So the great question as we come through this text today is... Because, listen, there's a Pharisee in every human heart. Do I see with the eyes of faith? Or are you born again? And to the unbeliever who may be here, I want to preach repent or perish now or never proclamation. Today is the day of salvation. And I ask, can you see? Are you born again? Are you a stranger to Christ? Or... Would you not have the Son of God glorified in this world and in your life? Do not deceive yourself. It is no small thing to reject Jesus Christ, and it is no small thing to ignore the call to trust in Christ. And so may God give you grace not to be high-minded, to be done with your pride, and come weeping over your sins to Jesus, and ask Him to save you from your sins. How can you do this wicked thing and turn from Christ preached to you this morning? But we all have at one point or another. All of us who are saved at one point rejected him. C.H. Spurgeon said in his autobiography, Looking back on my past life, I can see that the dawning of it all was of God, of God effectually. I took no torch with which to light the sun, but the sun enlightened me. I did not commence my spiritual life. No, I rather kicked and struggled against the things of the Spirit. When he drew me for a time, I did not run after him. There was a natural hatred in my soul of everything holy and good. Wooings were lost on me. Warnings were cast to the wind. Thunders were despised. And for the whispers of his love, they were rejected as being less than nothing in vanity. But sure I am, I can say now, speaking on behalf of myself, he only is my salvation. It was he who turned my heart and brought me down on my knees before him. But believer, do you not see it to be a greater miracle than the creation of the universes and of this world? 
that you now can see when once you were blind? Do you not see it to be the greatest of miracles? Do you know your heart well enough to know it is only the miracle of sovereign free grace that could have raised me from the dead and given to me saving faith and eyes to see this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ? And even though there's still too much of the Pharisee in my heart, too much of it, I really hate it. I do. Do you hate it? I hate it. I don't want it to be there. I want Christ. I want fellowship with him. I want union with him. I want to know him. I want to live out of the fullness of a relationship with him. Is that where your heart is? That's the response of faith to Christ. And I always want to help you be lost in wonder and love and praise and to exalt in our thinking and feeling Jesus Christ. So let's exalt him right now together, may we? Right here at this moment, because you can see with the eye of faith what the Pharisees could not, though Jesus was right before them. Did you hear that? You can see with the eye of faith what they could not see when Jesus was physically before them. You can see by faith these things. What do you see? Whom do you see? Well, let me tell you, I started a little list and I had to restrain myself because I would have done 10, 15, 20 pages. But I thought about it. What do you see? You see one who came from heaven's throne to be born of a virgin and to ride through death and hell for you. You see him by faith, don't you? Uh, you see one who came, as Samuel Rutherford put it, uh, saying, let them be as ill as devils to me, I will be as good as God to them. Uh, you see the one who paid your debt in full by the shedding of his precious blood on the cross. Uh, you see the one who has drawn you to himself. Draw me, says the bride in the song of Solomon, and I will run after thee. Is that true of you? You see the one who gives me his righteousness by imputation, fully providing for my acceptance with God and that forever. You see the one who shepherds my soul even in the presence of my enemies and all the way through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you see him by faith? You see the one who promises that my trials, though inexplicable to me, that my trials are for his glory and for my good. Do you see Jesus who does that by faith? Do you, some of you see the one who, who is going to be there by your sickbed and even by your deathbed? Do you see the one who says that when you go to the grave, he will be with you? Do you see him by faith? Uh, do you see the one who has made a bridge over the river of God's wrath and a bridge over the river of death for you? Do you see by faith the one who will bring every one of his elect to heaven, not one will be lacking? Do you see the one who shares the secrets of his covenant with my soul, who speaks comfort in the midst of sorrows, who speaks peace to my soul when men say war? Do you see the one who invites you to the Lord's table and to the supper at the end of the age and the wonderful thing he has paid all the expense 
You've not paid any of it for the whole banquet. Do you see the one, again, as one of the old writers said, that if there were 10,000 times 10,000 heavens and each to be above the other and Christ to be set in the highest of them all, yet he were set too low. Do you see him by faith? And in the language again of the Song of Songs, do you see the one, do you see the one who is the altogether lovely one? Do you see him as beautiful, lovely? Do you see him by faith? Oh, what the Pharisees missed. And this was my short list that I thought through. And you know what? It will take eternity in heaven to expand. And if we're writing on a scroll, it will never end. Will you be there with me to do it? Will you be there with me to be wrapped up in worship and love and praise to this Son of God who has done all of this and more for my soul? Do you have eyes to see the sign of the risen Lord? May he give it. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.